1: It's the Advertising Show. Welcome back for another weekend with Ray Shillings and Brad Forsyth and being brought to you by Advertising Age magazine. You can visit online at adage.com. The Advertising Show is a big Radio Midgets production. And we are back with you for a couple of hours today. We've got Robert Levine, a freelance writer based in New York City, and has written for Rolling Stone, Playboy, New York Business uh, 2.0 magazine as well. And we've got him for the uh, the whole two hours here. He's a contributing writer for Business 2.0 magazine, and uh, we'll have him and a bunch more as well. Patrick Myers with us, Joe Jaffe, Jeffrey Gittimer, Andy Borowitz, and a little bit later on the uh, the downside of advertising. Our final feature of this hour, uh, it's uh, advertising.
2: No, it's actually good. Oh, it is. Hmm.
1: Well, why did you say bad?
2: Okay. Well, well I was okay, talking about.
1: Okay. Are you sure? I said bad. <laughs> you did. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's, that's right.
2: fine. Hey, everybody. It's okay, me. Bard. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and uh, we have a lot of good stuff going on this uh, this weekend here on the advertising show. Yeah. So what's uh, what's up with you?
2: Well, you know, all kinds of things. This past week has been a crazy week uh, out there in the world of media and marketing, and. I guess one of the uh, hot items, we'll get this, get this announcement out of the way. That was kind of cool, I thought, for our worldwide audience. Coca-Cola has selected Wyden & Kennedy mm-hmm. to handle its global iconic advertising for Coke Classic. After a review, independent Wyden competed against WPP's Berlin uh, Cameron, which uh, teamed with Sir R- Rushmore Red Cell out of Madrid for final presentations that were held in uh, Atlanta this past week. So congratulations to Wyden & Kennedy for a big chunk of business from Coca-Cola there. Mm-hmm.
1: And they can no longer use Coke as it, because now it is eBay, right? Or Google. Which one is it? eBay. Yeah. I think that's what it is. Is that right? You've seen the It campaign? No, I haven't. Okay. No. so uh, Try to avoid advertising through the week. So basically. <laughs> you know, that's what your boss said, and he wants to talk with you tomorrow morning at 9 o'clock. Which okay? boss could that be? Whichever one
2: you want it to be. That's fine. I've got so many, I can't remember mm-hmm. who. Yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah. So,
1: uh, yeah, that, that's, that's, uh, that's pretty cool. Coke has got some... Uh, some problems, I
2: guess. It's still a, it's still a strong brand, brand, but it's not as strong as it used to be. That's for sure. Oh well, yeah, all the soft drink uh, producers are struggling. Although, if it is a worldwide uh, marketplace today, but uh, here in our home uh, continent of the of North America, people are drinking other uh, beverages. I know you. Uh, what's your blackjack Jack Daniels? What, what's your beverage of actually? Uh, my choice? favorite one is Jones Soda. Jones. Jones. Oh yeah, yes. the all natural. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. No. It's kind of the uh, t- the 21st century version of uh, Smith, of, uh, yeah,
1: Gatorade. <laughs> <laughs> no, Jones Soda, Soda is out of uh, Seattle. Uh, 40 uh, year old Peter Van Stalk uh, is able to thrive as a niche player in the beverage market with its inclusive, customer focused marketing. Well, that's what it ought to be. It's mm-hmm. for Gen Wise. It's crafted a quirky and friendly image that uh, makes advertisers and, and advocates out of all of its customers. It's called Joan Soda. I've never mm-hmm. actually had any. Have you? No, no.
2: I've seen it. Oh, you're t- talking to... Uh... No, I'm talking to you. Oh, yeah. No, I've seen it. I've never had it, no. Yeah. And uh, it's a nice package, and it's a nice bottle. We can uh, send
1: Doug down to the 7-Eleven and see if they have any Jones soda down there, the 7-Eleven in Seattle. <laughs> I'll get you a ticket on the airplane there. Robert <laughs> Levine is with us today, though.
2: That should be a great, uh, great time. You know, this is interesting, Ray, and I I just uh, think this may be something we'll be seeing more and more of. Chevrolet said just this past week that it's opening its first uh, Chevy store uh, this next November, meaning next month. Uh, And it's called Chevy Showcase, where customers don't actually buy cars or trucks, but they get referred to dealers at, uh, in this case, one of the largest malls in North America, the King of Prussia Mall outside of Philadelphia. Mm. The store will have cars and trucks on display, but it isn't. Uh, a typical car dealership. Rather, they have kiosk and product specialists uh, who will both pitch the vehicles and then link the uh, potential customer up with uh, a local or, or regional or wherever they happen to be uh, dealership in their home city or state. But, you know, I've got to believe uh, if, I'm, uh, if I'm another dealer in another city, especially, gosh, this is Philadelphia, so mm-hmm. if you're in Pittsburgh, you're thinking, when am I going to get one of these? So, you know, it's unusual to hear the factory or or it's an interesting idea, I guess I should say, that the factory is playing a role at the local retail level for these dealers. And, you know, maybe it's a a little indication of the uh, struggle that uh, GM is having and uh, staying up uh, trying to keep demand up for their product and not just uh, relying on low or no interest rate uh, promotions. Mm. Oh, yeah, and that that has got to be so weak after all this time.
1: And you know that those uh, GM dealers are hurting now. Because of the lack of uh, the zero and all that kind of good stuff. So, Mm -hmm. you know, I think it's really smart that they've done that as well. We've got Patrick Meyer here coming up here in uh, just a few moments. Want to get him on before the break and we bring on uh, Robert Levine. We should probably just call him Bob. Bob. You know? Robbie. Robbie. We'll see what he wants to be called. Let's, Let's check in with Patrick Meyer on the advertising show.
3: Welcome to Understanding the Future Now. It's the Marketing Insider featuring Patrick Meyer.
4: Everyone's heard about the book, The Tipping Point. But let me just tell you, it's catapulted way beyond The Tipping Point. I call it word of mouth on steroids. Let me share with you a quote from a consumer that reflects what happens when you add the internet, cell phones, and text messages to the tipping point phenomenon. This is a quote from a person in their 20s and very passionate. He described it as, whack service, whack product, feel the flames. I went to this new restaurant. The food was just okay, but the service sucked, and everyone had this attitude. So when I get home, I created my own restaurant review. I sent it to 60 of my friends. That's their tip. So what you just heard is a whole new form of word of mouth. Empowered, immediately responding with email out to 60 friends. That probably echoes within 24 hours to another 100 people, and that restaurant has no idea that they just lost a lot of business. What you need to understand is it's a whole different form of word of mouth. It's driven by cell phone, text messaging, email, at a whole different level. And it moves incredibly fast. The implication for you and what you do every day? Think about what the mythology is for your brand or your product. Make sure you have a story that they can tell. Second, make sure you feed it. Do you have episodes across the year? Things that are little bits that are positive that people can buzz about. Third, help them. If they're going to send things around, give them little video clips, give them little JPEGs, downloads, music tracks, whatever. And then last, make sure you're constantly having a dialogue with your consumer because if negative word of mouth is building underneath and you don't know it, then you've got a problem. So word of mouth on steroids can be your best asset or your biggest threat.
3: You've been listening to The Marketing Insider, heard every week here on The Advertising Show. Join us next week for more insight into the future of marketing. This is Patrick
4: Meyer, CEO of NOW, and remember, the marketing revolution has begun. For more, go to nowinc.net.
1: It's the Advertising Show with Ray Shillings and Brad Forsyth. Just a few moments. Uh, Robert Levine will join us. Uh, probably, Brad, I would imagine out of New York City. I, I didn't ask him yeah, about it. Yeah. Okay, good. Yep. Very good. You know, you, you smell real good today, Brad. I have to give Thank you, you well, that. Well, I appreciate It's not that, that. you don't on normal days, but uh, right. uh, You, uh, it smells. Is it axe or a tag that you're wearing? I can't remember. Well, re- it
2: depends. What end are you smelling? <laughs> I kinda well, move just, it
1: around. Let's just say it's your overall ambiance. Unilever's axe and Gillette's tag brand body sprays create ads to appeal to their target adolescent male audience, that's not you, by focusing on sex. Okay? The oh, humorous yeah. spots featuring men in flight from women aroused by the alluring sense. Isn't that like a replay what they used to do with high karate or something like that? It's like or you know, light beer. Or a lot of other campaigns that they've already tried. Right. Eh, Hey, folks, there's new ideas out there. No need to play on the (laughs) the old ones there. Get one. Yeah. Now, you, you
2: and I don't eat in the car. Very often, no, di- no. What we call uh, dashboard dining
1: for me. No, no exactly, because you, you need a shift. Basically, right. uh, there's, there's. <laughs> we got to talk about this, but we really don't have much time. Uh, so I'll hold this uh, for after when we get a chance to chat a little bit as well. Uh, it, it's, uh, it's. Um, what is it? They have things to keep drivers' laps clean while munching and driving. Isn't <laughs> an that special? Boy. Oh, oh yeah, yeah. boy. Robert Levine and Ray Shillins and Brad Forsyth on the Advertising Show here in just a minute. We've got Robert for both hours, and we hope we've got you too as well, so stick around.
0: Make your advertising dollars work smarter. You're listening to The Advertising Show with Ray Shillins and Brad Forsyth.
1: This is a dirty commercial. It has dirty mirrors, windows, cabinets, appliances, chrome, plastics, countertops, plus a whole lot more dirty things. Now,
3: we'll squirt a little glass plus on it and wipe the dirt away.
1: Now, look at this commercial. It's the advertising show. Ray Schell, i Forsyth, Brad a friend of the advertising show there. And, uh a lot of great commercials under his uh, tutelage. As a matter of fact, he was the guy that helped Ernie Anderson get into the voiceover business. So, very cool. Anyway, it's Ray Shillings and Brad Forsyth. We've got a... A very special guest today, out of uh, New York, and uh, and uh, Bob uh, Robert says it's okay to call him Rob. By the way, okay, okay. so we'll call <laughs> Robert Levine is a freelance writer based in New York. He's written uh, for Rolling Stone, for Playboy, for New York Business Two Point He regularly contributes freelance pieces to the business section of the New York Times. He started out at the L.A. Times after graduating from the Medill School of uh, Journalism at Northwestern, where he wrote news and features about music and film. He worked as an editor for Rolling Stone and Details Magazine before going freelance. Rob, as we know him now, was the senior editor at Wired Magazine, which is a great publication where he covered uh, such subjects as pop culture, business, and technology. While at Wired, Rob conceived over uh, conceived cover packages on video games in the music industry with his uh, opening essay, uh, uh, The Best Business Stories of 2004. He also made appearances as a commentator on CNN and CNBC, so he's very comfortable here in the studios of the advertising show. Any welcome. time
2: left to interview?
1: No. As a matter of fact, you know, Rob, uh, I'm sorry, but your time's up, pal. <laughs> uh,
5: it's <laughs> all right. You maybe sound so important. Matt.
1: I know. It's amazing. Uh, yeah. If, if there's Pressure more, well. we can read that, too, as,
2: as well, if you'd like. But yeah. uh, Anyway, welcome to the advertising show. Good Thanks to have you.
5: Thank
2: you very much. I assume your mother helped you with your bio there. Oh, she wrote it yeah I figured it and and the pressure 's on with the credentials like that the pressure 's on rob uh, let, let's let 's jump right into a lot of what your article was about in uh, a recent uh, business 2.0 publication and for those that would care to uh, read more, I guess they can just uh, go search that site uh, to check that out but uh, and I guess that would be business two with number two dot com but uh, let 's jump into that, which the topic was the eighteen to thirty four uh, male audience and and just you know in general. Give me your take on this, Rob. Why are advertisers so obsessed with the younger male market today?
5: Well, I think there's two reasons. One, that audience represents a lot of discretionary spending power. Now, that's not spending power in general. Young men generally tend to make less than older men, but they have more discretionary income because they don't have children and, in some cases, wives to support. So they have more money to Mm -hmm. see movies, buy beer, buy sports cars, impractical stuff like that the second reason is that when people are in that age group some of their buying habits form people who start drinking heineken when they're 20 are going to well i guess they can't start drinking it till they're 21 people who start drinking heineken when they're 21 (laughs) are going to keep drinking it at 31 41 51 etc so advertisers think you get more bang for your buck by hitting a younger audience
2: so do you think there's some, uh, is there some brand loyalty among the uh, young adults today, or are they finding their way with regard to brand preference?
5: Well, you know, the conventional wisdom in the advertising industry has always been that brand loyalty is established when you're, when you're that age. I think younger people today have less brand loyalty than they used to simply because culture moves so quickly. Mm-hmm. A brand might not mean the same thing over the course of a decade or over the course of two decades. But I I think that's still true to some extent.
2: Yeah, I'm curious, uh, you know, with the amount of information we have out available today with blogs and other ways consumers are influenced with uh, a variety of uh, peer groups and other means of uh, deciding what brands they're going to uh, uh, purchase or maybe move to a new brand uh, do, you, do you think that there could be less loyalty today among young adults than there was maybe uh, 20 years ago when we didn't have such uh, such available information flow
5: well there's certainly less loyalty there's no there's no doubt in my mind that there's less loyalty however i think if you're in the advertising business you still it's still advantageous to get to that audience rather than people who are let's say 34 to 49 because even if you get more loyalty, you get that loyalty for a lesser number of years. So mm-hmm. I think it's still, you know, the idea that those consumers are the most valuable consumers, I think it's less true relatively to what it was 10 years ago, but it's still true absolutely. You still get more bang for your buck.
1: You know, as far as what? the loy- the customer loyalty with respect to beer, I think, you know, we you know Brad and I may have grown up with a, a lot lesser options for, uh, for enjoying a, a brew, <laughs> mm-hmm. and there are so many more, and I'm really not loyal to... Uh, some of the things that I grew up, I'm more of an experimentalist. Like I want to see what's new and what's out there and tastes different and better. Well, you know might, it.
5: but you might experiment. Let's say you might have a beer that you drink much of the time. Let's say half the time, and then sometimes you experiment. But you still might come back to that default position when you're, let's say, done experimenting.
2: Yeah. Well, actually, if that was the case, Ray and I would be either drinking Schlitz malt liquor or Budweiser, <laughs> and we don't do <laughs> that ah. anymore. Perhaps we blue don't do that anymore. No, but Box that's a, you, the blue ribbon has failed to hold me as I've aged. <laughs> Actually, but. yeah. Well, Ray and I now there's a beer that Ray and I will return to. It's uh, it's an interesting it's brew that uh, was the was the cheap beer back in uh, back in our youth. And it still uh, gosh, great it's, yeah, it really is. You know, uh, a lot's been before we jump into how to uh, uh, reach the uh, eighteen to thirty four market, and we have just a little over a minute or so left here, Rob. Can you pinpoint a time or introduction of a particular technology when TV first began to see the young male demographic slip away?
5: Uh, It's hard to pick a single point. I'm going to go for two, if I may. I think the first is the massive popularization of the Internet that you saw in the mid-'90s as Netscape came out and started expanding. And the second one is... The um, introduction of the PlayStation, which made video, which made video games mainstream for older teenagers and young twenty somethings.
2: That's good. I, I would I would probably concur with that. Ray, you want to weigh in on that?
5: I,
1: I I'm going along with what you guys are saying on that. I think that's a uh, yeah. I think you made a good. point. I thought
2: for sure you were going to add beer to the. Well, maybe game. if
5: I get a third, I would say the explosion of. Uh, not the availability of, but the explosion of inexpensive DVDs as an alterna- as a legitimate alternative to going to see a movie in a theater.
1: Mm-hmm. Right. Very and, true. Although people seem to be doing that, don't they? I, I still don't get the allure of the theater when you can sit at home in
2: and, and, and the comfort of your own home and, and,
1: and do that instead. It makes no sense to me.
5: Why leave uh, the house at all?
2: Yeah, exactly. exactly. Especially now that his wife's willing to allow him to put his arm around her in public. <laughs> Ray Ray doesn't have any reason to go to the the movie anymore. You know, uh, when we get back after the break, I I do want to jump into the... uh, That is if we get
1: back after the break. you know. Well, that's
2: true. We'll check with the the FCC. But we were going to jump into, after the break, how we do reach the uh, difficult and and, and omnipresent uh, uh, 18 to 34 that's busy doing other things and not through traditional channels as it once was so easy to reach the uh, 18 to 34. And... I'm sure we'll be uh, having a, lots to talk, a lot to talk about with regard to the variety of media that uh, uh, young people tend to consume today, Ray. I think it's exciting, too, to reach
1: out to that demographic because there are so many opportunities to get really creative and, you know, the, not the same old, same old as far as uh, what what used to be put out there and accepted as grabbing that demographic. So this will be good. We've got the advertising show, and our special guest is Robert Levine, contributing writer, Of Business 2.0 Magazine, go to businessthenumber2.com. That's businessthenumber2.com. In the meantime, stick around. We'll be back with more in just a minute on The Advertising Show with Ray Shillings and Brad Forsythe.
0: You're listening to The Advertising Show with Ray Shillings and Brad Forsythe. It's when I...
1: I had to think, Brad, that was the big thing back then. The Polaroid swinger. Now we have camera phones and we don't say the word swinger, okay, attached well, to that, because somebody will get in trouble, no doubt.
2: As we used to say, it's, it was a lifestyle then, wasn't it? Yeah. Or it is now. It I is don't know. Now. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs>
1: yeah. We have, uh, we have uh, Robert Levine with us, uh, contributing Writer Business 2.0 magazine. And before we get back to uh, the interview with Rob, we want to check in with uh, one of the features here on the advertising show. It is Jeffrey gimmer Let's hear it.
3: Quick takes on sales and customer relations with Jeffrey Gittimer, nationally syndicated columnist in the network of city business journals and other great publications worldwide. If you're offended by common sense commentary, don't you dare listen. Now, here's Jeffrey.
1: Too many salespeople think that they have to be professional in order to gain buyer
3: credibility, and nothing could be further from the truth.
2: Me? I'm friendly. I try to act as professionally as I can, but I always err on the side of being too friendly. The stiff sales professional
1: will give a bid or a proposal, and if it ain't the lowest, he walks away with a goose egg. Me? I'm the friendliest and I'm the highest. I wonder if there's a correlation there. Now, I'm not saying to be the highest price, although seems to be working for companies like BMW and Mercedes, but I am saying be the friendliest. and none of ours do though of course on the advertising no. show with Ray Shillings and Brad Forsyth welcome back to the show it's Robert Levine contributing writer of uh, business 2.0 magazine
2: Robert thank you for back. having me you got it well you were the uh, you were our only choice of course you're you're the only choice uh, unfortunately I can't imagine any other
5: reason to have me on
2: <laughs> well <laughs> seriously thank you for joining us we're honored to have you and uh, fresh out of New- fresh out of New York City there and I assume we are talking to you from Manhattan correct
5: oh yeah the East Village.
2: Can I hear any sirens or anything? I'm, 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 I'm doubting you because I don't hear the sirens. Uh,
5: there were actually some uh, about 10 minutes ago, and I closed my
2: window.
5: I do not want to make it seem like I was getting arrested. Good thing
2: well, you had to lock your door, too, Rob,
1: okay? Thanks.
2: That's true. And with the moderate temperature there, fortunately, I guess you can shut your, your uh, window without burning up there. We were talking a little bit about uh, uh, the difficulty in reaching the 18 to 34 male demographic, and, uh, I'm curious uh, Rob Robert if, if TV isn't attracting uh, the 18 to 34 male uh, what and certainly other traditional advertising channels are also struggling uh, how do you reach the 18 to 34 today
5: Well I think it's not so much that TV isn't attracting them it's that t- first of all TV is attracting them a lot less and second of all and perhaps more importantly their TV habits are so dispersed I mean no one is watching the three networks anymore. But these guys, this eighteen to thirty-four year old audience, is really all over the place. They're watching Cartoon Network, they're watching MTV Two, VH1 Classic, and all these kind of channels. They're not necessarily the most efficient way to reach a lot of people. So when they do watch TV, their viewing habits aren't ideal. Same thing with print media. They read magazines, but it might be a Spin, a Blender, a Maxim. They're not necessarily reading a daily newspaper. So I think you have to reach them through alternate channels, which is one of the things I wrote about in my story. You might reach them through Internet sites, through video downloads, through video games, through event marketing, things like that. And I think also a lot of those uh, mediums give you some meter ability. You might not know how many. When an 18 to 34-year-old guy watches television, he might be doing two other things at once, playing a video game, talking on the cell phone, something like that. This, some of these media give you a better way to measure his
2: attention. Yeah, and, you know, I guess for those media companies, the media buyers and, and directors out there and marketers, for that matter, the days of must-see TV and being able to reach a young adult through programs such as Friends and Seinfeld are, are no longer available uh, at, that, uh, at that level of numbers that, they, that, that those programs could deliver. You mentioned new, new technology. Uh, th- this past summer we saw examples of a uh, new advertising technology called uh, hotspotting, for example, where where the ads will be uh, would be embedded uh, hyperlinks and pop-up windows in the frames of movie trailers, for example. For those not familiar with hotspotting, uh, describe this new technology, if you would, uh, Rob, please.
5: Well, I think it's basically when you you, you mean on even the, the hotspotting on the internet.
2: You're right. Yeah,
5: basically when you when you download something on the internet, it's giving you a place to click, to find more information about something. So it's basically like you're turning what is an entertainment experience into a way to get people to click to get more information about something. And it's just, you know, you're pushing something at people a little more. It's not so much you're pushing at them. You're saying, here, click this. We promise we'll tell you something you want to know. We're not going to just shove it out at you and depend on you to watch it. Because... This guy mm distractible.
2: Mm-hmm. And so uh, in doing so, you, you, do you think that uh, there will be a time where uh, the success of TiVo and, and DVRs uh, and how far we've come in, in seeing uh, the usage of such devices, will TV, TV eventually become a medium delivered through the Internet, do you think, programming?
5: I think that's going to take a long time because I don't think... I think the technology exists to make it happen, but there's not a huge advantage in, ma- in making that happen. The mm-hmm. TV manufacturers certainly wouldn't be in favor of it. The TV producers wouldn't, certainly wouldn't be in favor of it. And for the average person who watches a lot of TV, there's not a huge advantage in it. Second of all, if you look at the people who are really tech savvy whether they're 18- to 34-year-olds or a little older, they don't watch that much TV anyway. They have Netflix. They have PlayStation. They have Xbox. The problem isn't how they're getting TV. The problem is there's not that much on TV that they want to watch.
6: Mm-hmm.
5: When you say you've mentioned the notion of must-see TV, if you're an 18- to 34-year-old male, what's on TV, especially network TV, that's aimed at you? for mm-hmm. Housewives...
1: You know, Not there's really. some
5: hot girls on it, but it's a little—it's uh, a little safe for an mm-hmm. 18-year-old guy,
1: right? Isn't that an awfully wide demographic to be talking about, though? 18 to 34. I mean, w- wouldn't you break that up into a, a subcategory and see some lifestyle changes uh, within that demographic?
5: Well, that would have made the article a little harder to write. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> I, you know, I think that. Look, I mean, 18 to 34-year-old—it's a huge range and it's very, very inexact. I think, mm-hmm. you know, just like when we talk about, you know. N- You know, it's a necessary construction. When you talk about the ethnic audience, for example, Well, that that encompasses a huge swath of people. I mean, you have to break things up some way. That's one way to do it. The other thing is I think that, you know, there are 34-year-olds who are maybe 34 going on 24, and there are 34-year-olds who are married with children who maybe aren't buying a lot of hip-hop records. True, yeah, right. So it's pretty inexact, but you have to find some way of talking about it that's... Mm -hmm.
2: And for clarification, if I if I may, Rob, the uh, going back to the point that you made, uh, for decades uh, marketers have used the eighteen to thirty four as a demographic cell that they uh, target for the very reasons you opened the program last segment. And speaking of. Uh, the development of brand uh, preferences, et cetera. And it is thought that after the age of 34 that those brand preferences are pretty much laid in and the ability to influence those uh, young adults, uh, 18 to 34, is is pretty much uh, waning at that point. So, uh, you know, who who decided 18 to 34 decades ago? Who knows? And why do we continue to use that? Well, because it always has been that way. The business uh, 2.0. 2.0 2.0 article that you authored, uh, Rob, Reaching the Unreachables, mentions uh, companies that are helping big brands uh, develop new strategies to reach the young adult market. And, and we'll, we'll have to hold to be, that uh, well, to the next uh, segment. It's here, such huh? a tease to have to hold on till next time. Okay, thank you. We're going to do it. that.
1: Rob, don't go anywhere. We've got more on the Advertising Show with Ray Shellen's and Brad Forsyth. And Robert Levine will be back with us next hour, contributing writer for Business 2.0 magazine. Still to come, it's Goodvertising, our advertising showcase on the Advertising Show.
0: Make informed decisions about your company's advertising strategy. This is The Advertising Show.
1: Hi, I'm Joe and this is Tommy. And we love Kellogg's Frosted Flakes.
5: Great. Great. All right, one more. Come on, come on. Great. Good, good.
1: We uh, head into the wilderness every fall to uh, get in touch with our Tony, our masculine beast within. <laughs> That's exactly right. Yeah, there's a, there's a white ship. And if She's two guys are in the forest getting in touch with their Tony, they'd probably be arrested at this particular point in time. <laughs> yeah, but it was still a good ad. I loved it. It was, it was there's a there's a great example of of, of tying into uh, uh, our generation. You know, something that we grew up with, uh, but it's still around.
2: I don't remember. You, you don't remember Tony the Tiger? <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, I guess I do.
1: I hope so. You, yeah. you were eating yogurt back then. It was very very odd, boy, that Bradley. <laughs> has yogurt and bananas for breakfast. Uh, It'll be good uh, with more conversation with Robert Levine, contributing writer to Business 2.0 magazine here in just a few minutes. But... uh In the meantime, uh, this segment of the show, right around before the top of the hour, we usually uh, look at the upside and the downside of advertising. And uh, the good news is, it's good this week.
0: And now it's time for the Advertising Show's Advertising Showcase, an outstanding example of on-target advertising. For the good stuff, here's Ray and Brad.
2: So what are we looking at this week? Well, Ray, uh, we talked about beer earlier. We talked about Widen and Kennedy's win with the uh, with the uh, Coke. Well, we're going to move to, we're going to stay with beer, and mm-hmm. we're going to move to uh, Widen and Kennedy Portland, who did a great job on a uh, campaign for... Miller High Life. Miller yeah. High Life. Uh, it's it's an unusual spot. If you haven't seen it, uh, I'm going to do my best. It's 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 an s- unusual way to go about describing a 60 second spot uh, because it's very difficult to explain. So I'm going to go about this a little differently than we do uh, in past weeks. So this and is
1: a 60 second radio spot, then? TV,
2: TV, okay. TV. Okay, yeah. Thank you for clarifying that. And uh, imagine imagine just a variety of. Uh, Nice smooth fades of various past and present uh, present shots of uh, typical Americana lifestyle shots. For example, uh, a shot of uh, men sitting at a bar uh, back in the 50s, and their beers are all on the uh, sitting there in front of them, or or a black and white photo of a building where the roof. Uh, uh, top has a large replica of a Miller, Life, uh, Miller High Life bottle, mm-hmm. which we used to see ads such as that on top of buildings, uh, or a, a man and a woman's uh, dancing on the top of a bar back in the 40s. Or uh, I think you get the idea. Mm-hmm. And if you can imagine a, a voiceover, and I'm not going to do much of this, but just to set the tone, a voiceover that says this, When I look back on everything, I see 100 years of moments, 100 years of our incredible history. I was there when the first keg was tapped. I've seen the growth and the optimism of a young country and all the great minds that give us reason to celebrate. I've been there for the glory, and I've been there for when it hurts most. I've been there the day she says yes and all the yeses after. And it goes on and on with this poetic style of uh, of voiceover, and it really gets your attention, and yet it, it has the product uh, integrated in a in a very nice and, and tasteful way. I don't know about you, Ray, but I can't remember the last time that I saw a TV spot for Miller Beer. So if they're out there, they're not very memorable. But I think. Right. Uh, when people think of Miller, they think of Miller Lite uh, first. And, and this, of course, is arguably the most important Miller product, that being the Miller's uh, flagship brand. And the spot truly does take the heritage of the brand and brings it forward to many consumers that I'm sure probably never realized that uh, mm-hmm. what Miller brand stands for. Uh, you and I are old enough to remember that, uh, as we were talking earlier in the show, about the the old line uh, domestic beers and the ones that were truly the popular beers of decades ago. I like the tone of the spot, the emotional appeal, the poetic words used in the voiceover. The spot certainly takes uh, the ordinary, everyday moments of life and makes them special in this particular spot. But the spot creates a, a feeling for the viewer of nostalgia. It, it's the, the underlying message, I think, uh, to viewers is that when you drink Miller High Life, You're drinking a beer of great heritage and history and and of a broad uh, consumer uh, acceptance, at least at at one day and time in the past. The spot nails the strategy, which I can only guess uh, is about building value back into the Miller brand name. And I don't know about you, Ray. I, I personally... Uh, don't care for domestic beers as you and I both have established because mm-hmm. you don't either. But after seeing this spot, I, I'm fi- I find myself now thinking that maybe I ought to give Miller High Life another try hmm. if you're buying. So, congratulations to uh, Miller and and Kennedy Portland for this year's or this week's, I should say, advertiser showcase.
1: It's a uh, it's a new twist on the beer, right? Exactly. It
2: is, and I, I mean, think about it. When was the last time you did? Have you seen a Miller High Life spot any time in the last ten years?
1: I do not recall. I, don't I... either. Uh, and I'm trying, like my darndest, to re- recall a Miller spot, but no, I'm not uh, not recalling it.
2: No. And you know, I got to believe they're advertising, and maybe it's just that it's not very memorable. But uh, when you see this spot, and I'm sure you will, because Miller's got plenty of dough to to buy some TV spots, and they're undoubtedly targeting. Uh, beer drinkers like you and me. Uh, mm-hmm. When you see the spot, you'll see what I mean, and you'll uh, you'll find it to, to be a total departure from anything you'd ever thought you'd see Miller do. It's a, it's kind of risky on Miller's part, and I think a risk in a good way. Well, you kind of have to do that, don't you? Nowadays, you got to take a risk. Yeah. Yep.
1: Very good. Uh, that's what we do every week. If you if you know if you if you know who the Miller spots were before, write uh, we yeah. us at the advertising E-mail show. Email us. Yeah. It, it, yeah. Uh, let, let us know. Yeah. Here's something interesting. I, I wish I would have printed the rest of this out. It was from the Wall Street Journal. Maybe you saw this. Uh, Michelin reportedly spends roughly $70 million annually in sponsorship costs and supplies to participate in Formula One racing. That's a good match. Michelin, mm-hmm. racing. Yeah. Sure. Uh, wa- racing uh, rival Bridgestone spends more than $100 million, And while the research required to produce high-performance tires contributes to innovation, they say, at the consumer level... Neither company can point to an uptick in sales associated with their marketing expenditures, so wouldn't somebody at the top be saying, "You know, guys, I understand this is a real good fit and everything like that, but i 'm not sure this is working to the tune of one hundred and seventy million dollars. Does that
2: make sense well you know it's it's one of those uh, challenges of how do you quantify uh, a branding effort and and you 're right when you when you open that by way of saying Firestone uh, matching up with their consumer at an event like that uh, and Bridgestone following in. But uh, how do you quantify the uh, the brand association at an event like that, it's tough to do. I, and how many yeah.
1: marketers are willing to accept that, too, as well? You know, they, mm-hmm. they know they have to be there, and they know they have to get the name out there, but they really can't put their finger on exactly what it may be doing to
2: their brand. Well, I think marketers might be able to accept it, but I think the CFO or maybe the CEO have difficulty in accepting it. But uh, mm-hmm. it's, I guess it's the marketer's job, the CMO and the client side. To convince uh, others, including Wall Street, I suppose, but you know if, if sales aren 't happening there uh, and again, I, I think a lot of advertisers today, small, medium and large they they do branding because they know they have to and they sure. should, but then they try to quantify it as a direct a direct response medium or or yes. uh, try to look at a direct relationship between a branding effort. And sales, and I think that it's just silly to think that there can be a direct relationship. It's a long-term investment, mm-hmm. and look at the Nikes and the Starbucks and others that have made that long-term commitment and the benefit that they uh, currently realize as a result. So,
1: and for the most part, you will not be able to find that or be able to uh, uh, condition someone, a local advertiser or a smaller advertiser, to believe in that kind of stuff. Forget because they that. look at the bottom of the line, and it's, it's it's money out of my pocket every day. And what we like to say it's a cost of doing business it's mm-hmm. it's not it's not uh, you know a, a, an over it's a cost of doing well, business
2: you're right right to get a uh, and there's no reason they shouldn't to get a local advertiser on a smaller scale and that could be a half million dollar budget to to behave like the big advertisers and do some investment in branding uh, is a is a tough uh, a tough sell for an ad agency or or uh, an insider to try to convince a client to do that but they should yeah,
1: absolutely right they should. Yep. Robert Levine will be back with us next hour on the advertising show. Robert is out of New York. He has his doors locked and his windows open or at least he did for a while <laughs> back contributing writer for Business 2.0 magazine. You can visit Robert by the way at uh, business2 the number 2.com that's business the number 2.com. Next hour, Joe Jaffe joins us with a different perspective, and Andy Borowitz is going to be talking about Apparition Blabbermouth. What could that be all about? With all the stuff going on in Washington, who knows? (laughs) We remind you to go to theadvertisingshow.com. Also, uh, that's a great place for podcasts, RSS, and all that kind of good stuff, too. The Advertising Show is brought to you by Advertising Age Magazine. Visit online at adh.com. The Advertising Show is a Big Radio Midgets production. And it's hour number two of the advertising show being brought to you by Advertising H Magazine. Visit online at age.com The advertising show of Big Radio Midgets Production. More with Robert Levine out of New York City. Contributing writer, Business 2.0 Magazine. On the way uh, shortly here, Joe Jaffe. And later on this hour, Andy Borowitz will be with us as as well. Haven't seen Andy, uh, Brad, on the uh, the CNN American Morning lately, have you? Yeah.
2: I think he got the hook. You think so? Yeah.
1: I'm not sure. I haven't seen him. He'll show up with Bill Hemmer on that other network. Fox. Yeah, right. Yeah. And you said he was there. I've never seen him yet, so I don't know.
2: No? And. No, this- oh, yeah. He, he's just as stiff over there on Fox as he was on CNN, <laughs> Bill Hemmer. Okay. He needs to loosen up a little bit.
1: Really? Well, then he's. Said-
2: he, you know, Jack Cafferty needs to take him out back and whoop up on him. Probably has. That's why he's so, so nervous. <laughs> <laughs> That's true.
1: Cafferty's uh, an old, crusty. Uh, curmudgeon yes. or whatever. Yeah, We've got, uh, like I said, Joe Jaffe here in just a moment or so. This is interesting. We always see this, and every week there's something else uh, about this. Uh, Singular Wireless is the latest to do it, and what are they doing? They're launching a campaign uh, for the Hispanic market. It's called Adelante, uh, which is Spanish for moving forward in a bid to attract a larger share of the 38 million strong Hispanic market. My goodness, the uh, largest U.S. wireless service provider launching a new Hispanic marketing department for the Adelante campaign, which will include TV spots, um, the uh, WPP Group's Bravo Group of Miami, as well as magazine ads and local promotions. So good for them. Reach and help. Wake up call. Yeah, no kidding.
2: That's that's weird, isn't it? That in 2005 that they're finally getting around to marketing to the Hispanic yeah. population.
1: You know, on a local on a local advertisers uh, level as well. Uh, you know, we see so many people who buy. Well, let's talk about uh, whether it be print, uh, whether it be newspaper or uh, or magazines or even radio or television. So many people on a local level still put their money wholly into, uh, you know, just a regular uh, uh, English market. General interest. Yeah. Yeah. And Mm -hmm. I don't understand why local advertisers don't get that either. I mean, why not reach out to the Hispanic market with your ads? Mm -hmm. Why not? You don't see many of them
2: doing it either. I think many argue that uh, the location of their retail outlet or outlets are not in a particular area, but yet uh, of Hispanic uh, uh, density. But yet, you know, a market like a Houston, a Los Angeles, uh, a Miami, Chicago, for that matter, uh, yeah. very mobile markets. They, people move around, and so uh, to think that just because you don't have a particular outlet in a uh, high-density Hispanic or ethnic group, sure. no matter what that happens to be, in this case we're talking about Hispanic, it's kind of a, uh, you know, a bit of an oversight, I think, and you can't
1: argue that. Well, as Doug was just saying, too, uh, Walmart is spending, what did you say, 25 mil in the Hispanic market, and if you sell anything and you're a local marketer, uh, that Walmart does, that would be food or anything else. <laughs> Probably ought to think about that. makes sense.
2: Well, the 25-mil budget for Hispanic, they get out of petty cash at Walmart, I believe. That's true. Uh, yeah. yeah. Hey, you know, uh, very quickly, I know we got to jump into Jaffe there. The the tough job of selecting a replacement for the late Peter Jennings is even getting more difficult, as uh, insiders at ABC are suggesting that Diane Sawyer's uh, interest has uh, is out there since uh, she's been contemplating an evening anchor role ever since she's uh, heard about Les Moonves and his interest in maybe uh, wooing uh, NBC's Katie Couric over to CBS last late last year. Mm. And what's interesting about this, Ray, is that... Uh, uh, apparently, Sawyer's interest, uh, in, in the, the speculation is is that she has been insisting on doing fewer and fewer celebrity interviews as well as uh, doing more hard news material on Good Morning America, which uh, the tea leaf readers are suggesting that this is her posturing uh, for wanting the gig. Now, w- what kind of friction must this cause between her and Charlie Gibson, who's made no secret about his desire to want to anchor world news tonight on ABC? So mm-hmm. the saga continues. And uh, tomorrow, uh,
1: tomorrow morning, they start a CBS fiftieth uh, anniversary thing. They're going to have a whole bunch of people there, uh, past hosts, and so on and so forth. So that should be on, on uh,
2: the CBS morning on CBS morning program. Yes, so oh. it'll be kind of so. Cool. Maybe they'll get more than twenty listeners uh, instead of their usual fifteen. <laughs> I like that. What well, they're, they're str- they struggle? They struggle. They've always been in third place, and yeah. uh, for a long, long time. And uh, you know, it's it's a tough one.
1: Yeah, they've gone through lots of changes, that's for sure.
2: I think the problem is is when you wake up, you listen to Harry Smith, and you're ready to go back to bed.
1: Uh, I don't know about that. Uh, he's a pretty mellow guy. He's a mellow guy, but I kind of like in the morning the mellow news, okay? fine with me. <laughs> Not a problem. <laughs> that's a way to ease into your day. The mellow news, yeah. yeah. Joe Jaffe always has something good to say, and we're going to uh, listen to him right now on the advertising show. If you dare
3: to risk seeing the world from a new point of view, join us now for a different
6: perspective featuring author and new marketing consultant Joseph Jaffe. A new ANA agency relations study asked marketers which dimensions of creativity were important in terms of what they would expect from their lead creative agency. At the top of the list at almost twice the amount of the next item was creative development and execution. Well, that makes sense. Marketers expect their creative agency to be able to develop creative and execute against that. But what about the other topics? Integrated communication ideas was at 32%, followed by target insights, 28%, creativity in media, at 25%, and then the following three, 18% ability to provide thought leadership, 15% non-traditional solutions and 14% creative use of new technology. I was quite startled at the fact that non-traditional solutions and creative use of new technology was so low on the pecking order. There is no doubt that right now, in order to generate breakthrough solutions, in order to generate big ideas, that the key is going to lie in non-traditional and technology. And hopefully next year, we won't see a restating of the obvious. This has been A Different Perspective, featuring Joseph Jaffe, president
3: of new marketing consulting practice Jaffe, LLC, and author of Life After the 30-Second Spot. To learn more, log on to GetTheJuice.com.
1: It's the advertising show, Ray Shillings, Brad Forsyth, and uh, back in conversation out of New York, Robert Levine in just a few minutes, contributing writer of uh, Business 2.0 magazine. Brad, we talked about this uh, last hour. Mm-hmm. This is out of the times gadgets to keep beverages at the right temperature or to hold various food items are gaining in popularity with car manufacturers as more drivers opt to eat behind the wheel. Isn't that lovely? So they'll, you know, pop out tray so you can put your uh, <laughs> your uh, your low-calorie burger with fries. In a more low-tech <laughs> approach, there's a company called In and Out Burger. In-N-Out Burger. I don't know they're where sure. they're at. Are you familiar? In California. California, California. Okay, uh, offering special packages and placemats to keep drivers' laps clean while munching and driving, and that's probably not a bad idea. You mm-hmm. know, the in-vehicle eating always came out with those. Uh, well, I don't know who came out with them first. I guess McDonald's. The little trays that hold your drinks, supposedly, that don't really hold your drinks. Right. <laughs> it's like, I don't think that's working too good, folks. I mean, how many
2: cokes have you spilled on your lap while? Well, While driving, hopefully. Don't we have enough uh, distractions, Ray, with the cell phone and now the uh, eating? And then you have TVs and some uh, SUVs and and vans and so forth. I mean, you know, uh, I think, you know, maybe in the same way they were trying to come up with that device where you have to blow into a a tube in order to make sure you haven't been drinking before your car (laughs) will make your uh, car start yeah yeah, maybe maybe if you have the smell of burgers and your fries in your car it will disable your vehicle and you can't move until you air it out right keep people from eating (laughs) while they drive i mean this this is getting a little crazy i think it is too but as far as
1: trays i mean the 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 honda what is the honda crv is that the is that the the minivan thing yeah crv yeah Mm -hmm. they have actually a picnic table in the back in the well uh, you take the picnic table out and it becomes a well for keeping beverages cold kind of like a tailgate type thing it's actually kind of cool But uh, hmm. so they actually have a table that goes along with that we've got, uh, we're going to take a break here in just a minute uh, uh, Howard Stern is gone as you well know or will be gone mm-hmm. uh, through the end of the year and we've got Adam Carolla and uh, David Lee Roth oh uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. taking his yeah. place we'll talk about that later yeah. We have uh, Robert Levine, who did not get asked to take over the Howard Stern Show, but he's on our show. That makes up for it, I guess.
2: He may He's a contributing
1: writer for Business 2.0 magazine, and we'll have him on the advertising show in just a minute, so stick around.
0: Make your advertising dollars work smarter. You're listening to The Advertising Show with Ray Shillings and Brad Forsyth.
3: From Johnson's wax, Raid contacts and kills all kinds of bugs indoors. Raid hunts
1: them down. It's the advertising race. show with Ray Shellen and Brad Forsyth that makes you wonder why Johnson and Johnson wax didn't just build Raid into their floor protection products and uh, yeah. and and do you know you put it on the floor, it kills the bugs. What's wrong with and, that? And your little child crawling on the floor, small animals and. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Your dog, whatever. Yeah. Not a not a good thing there, though. I guess we are we are back with Robert Levine, uh, contributing writer, Business Two Point magazine, out of New York
2: City. And Robert, welcome back to the Advertising Show. Thank
5: you very much.
2: Yeah, and if you're not with us, uh, last hour we spent uh, twenty minutes reading. Uh, uh rob's bio this this hour we're going to have more time to talk to rob and if, <laughs> if you're just joining us rob is a freelance writer for both uh, business 2.0 as well as new York Times details magazine Rolling Stone and others and uh, since you've written so many freelance uh, pieces i'm curious who do you see policing the media right now i mean r- can readers really trust what they read today both uh, offline and online
5: wow i mean that's a whole that's a whole separate show but uh
2: No, it's this show. (laughs) (laughs) Well,
5: you know, I think that, you know, different, you can trust different media in different ways and to a different extent. I think that, you know, I mean, obviously you should take this with a grain of salt because I write for them, but I think that, like, the New York Times and, you know, also the Wall Street Journal and the LA Times, they're fine, reliable, accurate newspapers. They've made mistakes, um, you know they happen to have made some bad ones but they try to own up to them and i think they're generally trustworthy i don't know that there's a i think there's a sense to say okay well they got this wrong they're probably getting everything wrong and that's a natural inclination but i'm not sure it's necessarily valid
1: it's unfair is what it is Is what you're saying
5: it's a little unfair i mean i think i think a certain amount of skepticism is healthy i mean you trust the media to the extent that you Accept it as a guide to what's going on in the world, I think that's healthy. Do you accept, do you trust the media to the extent that you, you know, buy stocks without doing any other research? I think that'd be a bad idea.
2: Yeah, I think we, you know, I guess my point uh, in setting up that question, teeing it up for you, is uh, that I would like to weigh in on is just simply to say with the blogs out there and the podcast and and uh, traditional media getting it wrong at the level of the New York Times, which we all look to them as uh, being the uh, perfect uh, providers of, of content and accurate content at that, uh, that, you know, uh, fell off their pedestal for many uh, recently. Uh, you know, you, you begin to ask yourself as as traditional paper, newspapers and uh, move to the Internet to uh, – uh, reach out to a, a different audience. Uh, you know, where, where, who polices all of this flow of information through the internet? I mean, I th- guess it really comes down to the individual, doesn't it?
5: Yeah, I think you know to to quote uh, an old an old saw. You know, I think it was a Sims slogan. You know, the educated consumer is our best customer. Mm-hmm. I think you know if you want to get a lot of if you want to get a lot out of some media, you have to know what you're reading. I should say. I mean, I, I, I can't officially comment on the times because i'm a, a freelancer but i think that you know i think people find fault with you know people find fault with something that's generally good more than they find fault with something that's generally bad i mean the times makes a mistake and there you, you know it's not what you expect because they're usually so accurate it gets blown up into a big deal blogs make mistakes all the time i mean some mm-hmm. blogs have more mistakes than they have correct information they're all mistakes um, and it's not a big deal because it's sort of you expect them to get everything wrong, so it doesn't it doesn't really register. Uh, you know, I think again, you, some things you should read more carefully than others. And I think to an extent, this will. You know, this is something that's very much in the news this week. Two weeks from now, where are you going to go for accurate information? You know, Joe's current events blog, or a major metropolitan newspaper.
2: Yeah it's it's been argued that uh, what what traditional uh, print has going for it traditional media uh, print media is that's is its accuracy and then when they do move to an online uh, channel that uh, consumers media consumers will tend to gravitate to those uh, more reliable sources as opposed to those blogs i know your background was uh, has written about music industry as well as the video gaming industry oh sure this, Yeah, let's talk a little bit about some of that in the short time we have left here in this segment. The video game makers have seemed to fail to uh, encourage women or target women to play. Why do you think they've uh, missed this opportunity?
5: Well, I'm not sure they've missed it. I think they're still missing it. I don't think that game's over, to make Mm -hmm. an unfortunate pun. Um, I think that, you know, a lot of, Game companies have tried to make, every few years, someone tries to make games for women, which usually involve dollies and horsies. <laughs> and that, th- th- those always spectacularly fail. There are games that have, I don't have statistics in front of me, but that have pretty close to 50% female um, players. I-, I know The Sims is really close to 50%. If you're sure, not familiar that with that, sense. it's a series of simulation games. Right. uh... Right. A lot of the online games, even though they're a little geeky, have a lot of women because there's a community aspect to them. I think you know, it's, women want to connect a little more and compete a little less. But that doesn't mean rainbows. You still have to give them something cool without making it based on beating people up.
2: Is it just a matter that the video game designers and developers are all? It's a man's world. Men's uh, men are doing it, and therefore they're not. They're missing the. Uh, Uh, of even considering a a female target there? Certainly
5: don't see a lot of women at industry events. Yeah. Um, Yeah, I think that's part of it. I think part of it is that, uh, you know, I don't think you're ever going to catch up entirely because I think, like, part of playing games is being spending a lot of time by yourself when your mode of interacting with other people is competing with them. I don't think women find that an appealing experience. But if you look at stuff like, let's say, I am, you know, maybe young women, the time that young men spend playing games competing with each other, young women spend on I am connecting with each other. Mm -hmm. So I don't know if gaming ever catches up, but I think that kind of technology catches up. You know, maybe they're engaged in interactive technology in a different way. But listen, I never claim to understand women. I can't,
2: uh, you can't, uh, <laughs> that's, you a right a- that's a right answer, Rob. That's a right answer. Rob. That ain't going to change. No. So you're suggesting the gregarious nature of the female consumer is such that she's uh, not going to tend to want to do things in solitude and a man, uh, male audience, a male consumer is more of a, uh, a loner and would be willing to engage in an artificial uh, situation such as uh, such as a gaming deal.
5: Yeah, I, maybe not Gregaria so much as empathetic, but yeah. yes. Hmm.
2: Yeah, you know, we, like well, you
5: know, women like you said. You know, when are video games going to catch up? You could say when are competitive sports going to catch up? You know, women play field hockey and softball in large numbers, but it's never going to be no. such large numbers. I think it's, you'll see well, the
2: same thing with games. It's just a not one. a
1: woman's market. That's all. And we've got yep. uh, Robert Levine here, our special guest, and there'll be more with Robert after the break. Robert is the contributing writer of Business 2.0 Magazine. You can go to business2.com to find out more. Go to our website, too, The Advertising Show, to find out a bunch of great stuff, including podcasts and RSS with Ray Shillings and Brad Forsythe on The Advertising Show. Back with more in just a minute.
0: You're listening to The Advertising Show with Ray Schillens and Brad Forsyth. I drink Dr. Pepper and I'm proud.
3: I used to be alone in a crowd. But now you look around these days, it seems to be a Dr. Pepper craze. I'm a Pepper, he's a
1: Pepper. She's you know, it's always so embarrassing pepper, every time we play this classic, but Brad Scott's dancing like that guy. Like, Brad, you're not a dancer, okay? We are back with The Advertising Show, and it's Ray Shillings and Brad Forsyth, and our special guest is uh, Robert Levine, contributing writer for Business 2.0 magazine. And uh, we've got, uh, welcome back to the show, Robert. Are you there? Oh, there you are. I'm okay, here. good. Beautiful. And, Brad, you're yeah, there, too.
2: Yeah, I sure am. Robert, you're familiar with uh, Inside the Actors Studio, the James uh, Lipton, the the uh, host of that, aren't you? Oh, Yeah. Yeah, so I'm going to ask you a few James Lipton questions. Can I do okay. that? All right. Now, what's your favorite word, Rob?
5: Oh, uh, I don't know. Quotidian leads to mind, but I don't know if that's my favorite. Just was well, the first thing that popped up? You don't get a lot now of dates, do you, Rob? Uh, no. What?
2: Now that you've thrown that out, you're going to have to define it for 90% of our audience. Yeah, really.
5: Uh, day-to-day.
2: Day-to-day. Okay. Okay, and then what because it's already? an unday
5: to day way of saying day to day, it always struck me as a funny word. Yeah,
2: and say it again.
5: It means ordinary or day to day, but it's a very mm. unordinary way of saying day to day. So it always S- say the word one more time for us. Yeah, that's quotidian. What that
2: quotidian. Okay. Quotidian. Yeah. And if you do that here, Ray, you're going to clean it up. just yeah, right. Much, you know. Okay. That's the a uh, what is your uh, what turns you off, Rob? Turns you off. You mean? Well, how about it? it's just <laughs> up to you. <laughs> Sorry, You're I just, I just wanted to
5: break into that. I, ju- I just wanted to break into my late night voice there. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> Let's see. Um, you know, uh, Pizza with so much cheese on it that you can barely taste the tomato sauce, and it gets all greasy.
2: Well, you are from New York, and I agree with you on that, too. I I I don't like uh, that.
5: You need everything in its ratio. More isn't always better. Mm
2: -hmm. Yeah, I'll I'll weigh in and say thick crust uh, versus thin. I I would go with thin, uh, always. Oh, thin, yeah. Yes, and and one final James Lipton style of question. Uh, what, What profession would you... Be in? Should you not currently be a freelance writer? What would you prefer to be? Uh,
5: an internet mogul, but <laughs> mostly just because it pays well.
2: I was going to say that would be retired, wouldn't it?
5: Yeah, retirement. I, I'm sort of looking forward to that. I've got a while to go, though. Uh, yeah. I, I, you know, the, I've always been fascinated by the music business. I've reported on it a lot. Obviously, I like. I have a passion for music, so I suppose uh, you know, if I had to make my choice, I'd be an A and R guy.
2: Yeah, have you been? Have you been backstage during major concerts? Uh, rubbed elbows with any of the musicians out there? Yeah, but yeah. it's
5: often not. I mean, you know, being backstage is often, uh, you know, at a big concert there could be you know a couple hundred people back there, so it's often not as exciting as you you Mm -hmm. might, sometimes it's not exciting, as you might think, sometimes it is.
2: Mm -hmm. Well, Ray and I were in the radio business 30 years ago, back when it was exciting, and we were backstage when when there was a handful of people back there, and what we did back there, we can't talk about it. Now Uh, it's a a (laughs)
5: village back there. (laughs) People are more careful with the way they are in public, you know, the gossip Sure. The Industry has made people, you know, more uh, afraid of behaving badly.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, camera phones, that uh, cell phones that take pictures, all kinds of reasons well, to behave nowadays. <laughs> yeah, I can yeah. still behave
5: badly because no one really cares about me. But you know,
2: well, do we want to mention that that you and I did our pre-interview that it was about midnight uh, East Eastern time the other day, and obviously behaving uh, it was boys behaving badly that night. Obviously, for you, that was before but I went out. Oh my goodness! No, I'm well, all I can tell you is the bar was open in your apartment that night. No, the uh, let's let's jump back into some uh, conversation here. A, a particular uh, a company out there that uh, I've been reading a lot about happens to be. Uh, uh, XM satellite radio. Of course, there's a lot of challenges going on in satellite radio nowadays, and you know, uh, will one uh, will one eventually uh, win and the other lose? Who knows? But uh, you talk about uh, major companies like McDonald's and XM satellite radio uh, getting together to do a a show like Hot Import Nights. Talk a little bit about that.
5: Oh, well, you know, Hot Import Nights, if people aren't familiar of it, with it, it's basically a traveling car exposition. They'll go to, uh, you know, concert venues or, you know, basketball-sized concert venues or um, expo centers. They'll usually get about 15,000 people, and they, you know, it's a sort of a newfangled car show. They're showing off, you know, kind of, quote-unquote, pimped-out, foreign cars instead of traditional cars. And they've brought a lot of sponsors in that pay a lot of money to, you know, get in front of that young male audience. McDonald's is a big sponsor. XM Satellite Radio is a big sponsor. And those companies feel that, you know, rather than get 30 seconds on, you know, rather than get 30 seconds, hey, eat a Big Mac, they're going to really get that audience. They're going to have a high-touch experience, to use the jargon. They're going to really reach those people directly. Rather than, you know, Pepsi, rather than offer 30 seconds about Pepsi, Pepsi, they're going to hand out the new drink. Rather than do 30 seconds about XM Radio, they're going to play XM Radio for you. So you get a little closer to the consumer, and a lot of companies find that with a distractible consumer, there's a lot of value in that.
2: Yeah, and it's a a good uh, segue into a, a great article you wrote this past summer for the New York Times about MTV, and establishing a, a broader marketing uh, partnership, uh, namely in particular promoting uh, games and their programming in exchange for a share in sales. Describe, if you would, uh, uh, why MTV is, is going in this direction and what involvement they're going to have in the gaming industry going forward.
5: Well, I mean, I, I can't speak that specifically about the strategy, but as, so far as I understood it, I think you know it's almost a way to hedge their bets. The audience at MTV thrives on is playing more games than ever and watching less TV than ever. And that's only going to change more in that direction as we go forward. I think MTV, A, just wants to find out what the gaming business means to them. I think it's a great way. I mean, they didn't mention this to me, but I think it's a great way for them to get some knowledge. It's also a good way for the, you know, video game makers. You know, their biggest line item is promotion and their biggest... Line item in promotion is TV advertising, so by cutting in a marketing department, a marketing partner, they can reduce their cost structure. So theoretically everyone wins. We'll see if actually everyone wins, but theoretically everyone wins.
2: You know, a lot of people listening today may be new to understanding gaming and how that works to connect up with the young adult uh, market that are on the other side of the screen. Does product placement – first, let me ask you a quick question, uh, and then I want to hear some other marketing opportunities through gaming, but does product placement within the game itself actually work?
5: There's two two – I'm going to divide that question into two parts. The first is, does it on some level generate more interest in a product? The answer is probably a little, but it's hard to be sure. The second part of that is, is this a really valid advertising medium going forward? And I think not. And the reason is, first of all, you can't meter it. If you put, on, if you put an ad on TV, you know how many people are watching it. You don't know how much attention they're paying, but you know how many people are watching it. Let's say you put an ad in a game. You know how many people buy the game? but you don't know how much time they spend with it. And, you know, video games are big. How much time are they spending on that screen? Let's say you buy a billboard in a car racing game, so when the cars race by, you know, you have a virtual billboard by the side of the road the same way you'd have a real billboard. Well, who knows how many players are on that track? Who knows how many players are on another track? It's really hard to meter it. I think if you want to have meterable video game advertising, That's only going to happen on a service like Xbox Live, where you can update things on the fly, switch them in and out, get a little more control over the user experience.
2: Some would argue that uh, with TiVo and uh, DVRs, that uh, you don't know who's watching your spots nowadays.
5: If you look at the percentage of TV shows viewed on TiVo or DVR, it's not huge yet. Obviously, we're moving in that direction, but... Yeah,
2: you're going to have the same problem with that. Yeah. Robert, you, you, uh, we're just about yeah. out of time here, Brad. Well, I was going to ask him one final question, okay. which is if heaven exists, what would you like to hear God say when you arrive? Thanks for coming. <laughs> <laughs> Ray and I have always said, uh, what, what's what been keeping you guys? Yeah. Well, I'd, settle for any, I'd
5: settle for anything, if
2: there that's what I'm telling you. S- settling is good. Hey,
1: Robert, we're out of time. Thanks for being on the advertising show. Appreciate it.
5: Thank you so much.
1: Thanks, uh, Ray Shillins and Brad Forsythe. Back with more in just a minute on The Advertising Show.
0: Make informed decisions about your company's advertising strategy. This is The Advertising Show.
3: Robert P. Soup Anderson, and here with me are the non-identical twins, Happy and Pee-wee.
2: Hiya, Hiya soup, soup fans, soup fans everywhere. everywhere.
3: The gentlemen here are going to demonstrate how we split peas for our soup rather than crush them and lose the flavor. <laughs> you notice the intricate machinery, the pea soup, the
4: pea
1: sorter. That's a, uh, the classic uh, TV spot, actually. it was a uh, the, the stuff that goes along with that is cool, but it translates nicely to radio as well. That is um, a classic spot on the advertising show. It's Ray Shillings and Brad Forsyth. Thanks again to our special guest, Robert Levine, out of New York, contributing writer for Business 2.0 magazine. You can go to business2.com to find out what uh, is about that magazine. And, of course, uh, I'm sure there will be something in there about Robert as well. So we thank him for that. Next week, we've got Steve Kaplan. Steve was the gentleman that we uh, that we uh, so graciously were able to move uh, f- the one the week that we had Rance Crane on. Is that correct?
2: Mm, actually, that was uh, Jeff Bell, who's with Chrysler. Just gentleman, gentlemen. Yeah. This gentleman. Jeff Bell was be appearing on the
1: show sometime before. Uh, you have to get your taxes done. In April. <laughs> yeah. Well, no, anyway, Steve Kaplan is author of uh, what is it? Uh, the Bag the Elephant: How to Win and Keep Big Customers. What a great, yeah. uh, great title for that book.
2: No, no, it, actually, this guy was re, re, uh, rescheduled because I believe it was the, uh, the hurricane okay. issue. Yeah. Okay, that's what it was. Yeah, okay. That's what you were thinking.
1: We're talking about uh, beer. This is the beer show, I guess, mm-hmm. all, this, all this day. Um, <laughs> did you see – now, I didn't see this. It's, uh, it says low-fare carrier, uh, low carriers find beer ad offensive. An Anheuser-Busch radio advertisement ridiculing low-fare airlines has irked AirTran so much that they may stop serving the company's products on their flights. He had questions the safety of low fare airlines, among other things. Well, that's stupid. Mm-hmm. Anheuser Busch said it pulled the ad. Well, it probably shouldn't ever been up there to begin with. Created right. by DDB to Chicago after one airing, but it remains on an industry website. A Southwest Airlines spokesperson called the ad tasteless. And that's from the Wall Street Journal. How could they? How could they be so stupid as to as well, to put out an ad like that? Come on! They
2: were drunk when they made the decision. Yes, so. <laughs> they were drinking Miller. <laughs> you know, sp- speaking of tasteless, real quickly, the uh, Janet Jackson. For those that didn't get enough of the Super Bowl matter, oh, yeah, uh, there's right. a 40 second video mm-hmm. of Jackson sunbathing circulating the web right now. Apparently, shot from some nearby. Uh, uh bushes that she was unaware of and if you're wondering uh I don't think she has any worry about getting sand in her suit because she wasn't wearing one. I see but uh, but, but last week uh young uh, debarge uh, that's his name, young debarge as opposed to a young guy named DeBarge. Young DeBarge told New York's uh, hot ninety seven that Janet Jackson just adding to the you know the rumor mill here has given birth to a daughter uh, named Renee eighteen years ago when she was married to his brother. So you know we got all kinds of action out there for Janet Jackson. Is this Eldebarge or Young Devarge? Well, yeah, that's a, well, Young Devarge is, uh, Debarge yeah. is, Debarge is Debarge a Devarge. Eldebarge was
1: a group, and that was a guy.
2: That was the, and he was. She was married to him for a short while. Really? Yes. You didn't know that? No, didn't. This was eighteen years ago. Well, uh, you were involved in drugs and alcohol. No, then, stop, think, that. Right? stop that. Stop. <laughs> no, you you just missed it. You were involved in you know probably. Uh, you lived in Florida then, so you did that uh, shuffleboard thing with a big
1: in, thing. I was in soft A C then.
2: Yeah. <laughs> you were doing that shuffleboard thing with those old people. Uh, yeah, yeah what, Those are were every, the shuffleboard
1: with is old people. Yeah. <laughs> yeah,
2: those big that big round thing that you use a stick. Yeah, it's shuffleboard. Yeah, okay. exactly. And, and okay. there
1: were a lot of those places in Fort Lauderdale and Miami. Not yeah. today though. Uh, let's right. let's check in with Andy Borowitz now here on the advertising show.
3: Hi, this is Andy Borowitz for The Advertising Show. And now, here's this week's
1: feature from The Borowitz Report. According to a top-secret plan being developed by the Bush administration, high-ranking White House staffers intend to infiltrate al-Qaeda in the hopes of leaking Osama bin Laden's precise location to the press. A plan, codenamed Operation Blabbermouth, was hatched this past week after a marathon discussion concerning the ongoing CIA leak scandal A source inside the White House said this past week, We decided that instead of wringing our hands about leaking the name of that CIA operative, why not put our ability to leak information to positive use? The source said, After all, leaking is the one thing we're really good at. The source said that White House staffers are currently undergoing training in the hopes of infiltrating al-Qaeda by the end of the year. We intend to infiltrate al-Qaeda as completely as Halliburton has infiltrated the White House. One close to bin Laden, the source said the White House staffers will immediately place phone calls to newspaper reporters to leak the madman's precise location. We're all going to have Judy Miller on speed dial. Counterterrorism expert Richard Clark, while praising Operation Flabbermouth for its inventiveness, said that the plan has one major flaw. In order for a plan like that to work, it would have to be kept totally secret And they've already leaked that to the press. In response to Mr. Clark's criticism, the White House source offered this response. Oops. This is Andy Borowitz, and this has been a special edition of the Borowitz Report from the advertising show.
3: To read more reports or to receive daily email alerts, log on to
1: borowitzreport.com. This is Andy Borowitz saying, keep it fake, baby. Sooner or later, we're going to get it right, you know, Mm -hmm. one of these terms. I'm not sure exactly which one, but it'll it'll (laughs) happen. Uh, this is uh we, we, you and I know about mcdonald 's uh, and and how we feel about uh, about the what they want to say about their food and so on and so forth, but apparently mcdonald's has a, a new ad campaign to combat recent attacks on quality and safety practices okay it's uh, This is out of l a uh, It says every day inside an unassuming building in, on the outskirts of Oklahoma City. Thousands of hamburgers are run through metal detectors on their way to becoming Big Macs and Quarter Pounders. Why they're metal detectors, I don't know. The detectors, along with (laughs) hourly tasting tests of burgers and sausage patties made at the plant and a five-hour-long nightly cleanup are just a few of the food and quality safety measures McDonald's Corp. requires of its suppliers. Hmm. And the company wants the customers to know about it, it says. Uh, McDonald's uh, kicked off a two-day media event to tout the quality of its food and combat critics who say its burgers and fries are unhealthy. I don't think anybody ever said that their burgers and fries are unhealthy. It's just no, that they're they're, just,
2: they're, they're they're burgers and fries.
1: Yeah, I mean, so. They are they, what they are. It says, because we're the biggest and the best, some people uh, like to take shots at us. The head of the McDonald's U.S., J.C. Gonzalez-Mendez, supply chain. Uh, uh, oh, he's a supply chain. Uh, for He said that in an interview. High-profile attacks of at McDonald's in recent years, such as the 4 The film Supersize Me have accused the company of contributing to the United States obesity. We don't believe that in one bit.
2: You know, it's been in the news this week, Ray, you probably saw it, where uh, McDonald's is going to come out and put on each of their package the uh, nutritional uh, value of the food. Huge mistake. I cannot (laughs) believe they're doing that. They cannot believe they're doing it. There's no upside to that. People know what they're eating when they they eat that stuff, and to be forthcoming with a... uh, Nutritional evaluation of what you're eating. There is no upside to that. A huge downside. I don't know why. Who? You know, they were with the anheuser Bush people, and when they came up with that idea, mm-hmm. that's just that doesn't make sense.
1: No, it makes no sense whatsoever. McDonald's is McDonald's. Okay, it's yeah. not going to change. So and and the folks who believe that the, the the McDonald's is making
2: their children fat get real come on i know some people that you that work there and just by breathing the uh air they've gained weight i'm sure they because of all the the oil in the air you know this the grease there is a time and a place for a greasy oily
1: and i'm not sure saying they're is. greasy oily but <laughs> Dog on it. Every now and then, it just tastes awfully good. Right. You know, here's so a hangover. They say McDonald's keeps on keep on doing what you've been doing, and yeah. uh, so that's our that's our last thing. We end on on food here. Okay, mm, started on beer. on beer, got food now. Okay, yeah. that's a Let's good. Let's see. Couple. Let's go to DQ. Want to? <laughs> <laughs> uh, Gutbuster. I want to order one of them Gutbusters. Yeah. With a big gulp. Yeah, I want a big one. So uh, next week it's Steve Kaplan. The man who was supposed to be on the show but has nothing to do with the man that we canceled because of Rance Crane. Author of Bag the Elephant, How to Win and Keep Big Customers. And uh, we thank uh, Robert Levine uh, again for being a part of this uh, show today. Contributing writer for Business 2.0 magazine. It's going to be a great week and I hope you can join us next weekend at the same time right here. The Advertising Show. And uh, we also want to remind you to go to the website, it's theadvertisingshow.com, and there's a bunch of stuff there, including a podcast, RSSCAT, a uh, feed of the uh, this particular show and many others as well. The Advertising Show, it's brought to you by Advertising Age magazine. Visit online at adage.com. The Advertising Show is a Big Radio Midgets production.